Spiritual abuse is a wild oxymoron. First of all, spiritual means of the spirit, of the spirit of God in my spirit. It's a sacred, sacred place. And so then you put abuse with that, which means to mistreat, to harm, to wound, to, to distort, to degrade, all of those things that are diametrically opposed to the Spirit of God, who is an exact reflection of the character of our God. So it is the destruction of a person made in the image of God, a use of them for personal means in some fashion, and a misre gross misrepresentation of God, often in God's name. So it's extreme, it's a very ex uh, confusing place for people because they hear the spiritual piece and they think it must be right and then they have the damage piece and somehow the damage has to be okay if it's spiritual, only it isn't. So it, it really, really confuses a lot of people. Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, culture, and mental health, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from a clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 42. Hi friends, welcome back to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here joining me today. Today I just want to dive right into our conversation because we're talking about something that was not only highly requested, but has been pressed upon my heart for some time now. This is something that I've experienced, I've witnessed others experience, and loved ones who are close to me have gone through as well. And so we're talking about the dynamics of spiritual abuse, how to notice the signs of when it's happening, and how spiritual abuse can become a confusing and very subtle slippery slope to be easily entangled into. And most importantly, why it's vital that we can't let these destructive characteristics slide or slip under the rug no matter how much status or charisma a person may have because victims matter too. And you know, this is nothing new. Anytime there are different levels of power dynamics in humanity, it can open the door to different forms of abuse. It doesn't have to and it doesn't always, but it can. And the thing about spiritual abuse is that it disconnects us from ourselves. You know, the perpetrator often makes themselves the in-between voice of God who are supposedly hearing him in a clearer way that maybe we aren't, you know, and, and maybe telling you you're in rebellion, you know, if you don't go along with what they tell you to do or say, or just, um, making you dependent on the need to go to them with every thought and decision so they can discern it for you and turns off the same intuitive feedback system within that tells us deep down when something isn't right. Uh, you know, safe spaces have autonomy, right? They're ruled by faith um, and support and not by fear and control. And it can happen in various ways, right? It can be emotionally abusive or psychologically manipulative. 
you know, a lot of times uh, there's a fear of kind of being excommunicated because oftentimes a person has built their entire life around this community, you know, this church community, this faith community. Um, friends, family have gone through things in life together, have gone through major life experiences together, and there's a fear of losing this very big support system in your life that may also have some good aspects to it, but um, the toxic aspects are kind of, you know, overriding all of the good ones in a way that there is more bad than good happening, right? And so we have to have boundaries, create space, and oftentimes leave those spaces and rebuild, um, which is entirely possible. And so I do want to make it very clear, you do not have to stay in these spaces. A lot of times we feel loyal to these spaces, um, especially because there's a lot of manipulation saying things such as, well, you know, you're falling away, right? You're spiritually falling away <laughs> or backsliding, you know, if you move away from these spaces, um, the kind of excommunication the demonizing of people who leave that often takes place in those spaces um, can make it hard, can make it hard for a person to detach and to break away. And so um, many times that means we may have to find other healing spaces that are supportive while we're in transition. Um, But that being said, I don't want to over talk the situation. This was a great conversation and it's part of a series of conversations I think we need to dive into about this topic. So who better to have to launch off this series of conversations than my friend, Dr. Diane Lamberg. And she is awesome. She's a practicing psychologist and international speaker working with trauma survivors, caregivers, and clergy around the world. She's globally recognized for her 45 years of clinical work with trauma victims and has trained caregivers on six continents in responding to trauma and the abuse of power. Dr. Lamberg is also co-leader of the Global Trauma Recovery Institute housed at Biblical Theological Seminary, and she's on the board of an organization called GRACE, and that acronym stands for Godly Response to Abuse in a Christian Environment. And she serves as co-chair for American Bible Society's Trauma Advisory Council, and she's also married and has two sons and four grandchildren. So as you can see, she is a dynamic woman. She is phenomenal. She's done a lot of work in this area of spiritual abuse in the church. Um, And of course, not all churches are like this. I've been in very, very healthy, thriving churches that really helped me grow exponentially. And I've also seen very toxic churches. So um, like most things, you know, it really depends on um, the root of what's taking place, right? And the people who are organizationally leading these places and the kind of culture and ethics that they're instilling. And so without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Diane Lamberg on the dynamics of spiritual abuse. Hi, Diane. It's so great to have you on the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast. How are you doing over there? I'm doing fine. I'm not living with fires like you are. I know. For anyone who's listening in California right now where I am, we've been having these crazy apocalyptic fires. um, And we're just praying that, you know, with the firefighters and everything, everything goes down pretty soon. But I really, I'm so excited to have you on. You talk a lot about spiritual abuse and recovering from abuse in the church. And we're going to dive more into that. But first, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about yourself leading up to the work you're doing and like what led you here. <laughs> I, I got led, that's for sure. Um, I, I started out <clears throat> as a clinician in the early 1970s. Um, and just to put that in perspective, post-traumatic stress disorder was not a diagnostic category until 1980. 
And I, there were not very many women in the field. And I had finished my master's working on my doctorate. And so women would ask to see me, not because I knew anything, but because I was female. It was also a time when Vietnam vets were returning. And so I began hearing stories about domestic abuse and hearing stories about sexual abuse, neither of which I knew anything about, and realized at some point that the women and the soldiers had the same symptoms and that life had many war zones in it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes behind closed doors in homes. Um, and so that was the beginning. Um, and, you know, I, I had to tell my clients, I really don't know anything about this. I have nobody to ask. There yeah. are no books. You know, I could read Freud and he would say, you're making it up. I mean, that was literally what was available. Oh, right, right. So they had to teach me first. And um, they did. They taught me what it was like to be a victim, uh, to be terrified, to experience trauma. Um, and so I listened and learned from them for a long time. Uh, and obviously, eventually, it just began to grow because there weren't very many people working with it. And so um, somewhere down the road, people asked me to speak at churches. Somewhere down the road, I started hiring associates because I couldn't keep up with my own caseload. And um, wow. here we are now, decades later. Wow. So I've been involved with it for getting close to 50 years. Wow, that is amazing. And I just, um, I admire everything that you're doing and just seeing and understanding how much of a pioneering it were, work it was really for that time um, where, you know, things like sexual abuse or spiritual abuse just weren't really talked about um in an era before church two uh you know and all the hashtags and coming out online uh and it is one of those things where the more you talk about it the more you hear people say oh i went through that um and so I, i've personally been seeing more of that conversation come out during this whole quarantine uh and yes. so speaking about spiritual abuse i think specifically for those who are listening, you know, what would you say are some of the common signs of spiritual abuse and gaslighting in the church? Because when you're in it, you don't realize it, you know, because it's hidden under terms of obedience and, you know, obeying your spiritual leaders who are caring for your souls and whatnot. And they cross lines. And I've been there personally. I've seen it. Uh, with others in my life. So I was hoping we could clarify, like, what are the signs that s some spiritual abuse is going on? Uh, yes, we can do that. I need to do a couple of things before I do that. Yes, please. One is to briefly say something about what it means to be a human being, because that's who's being abused. Yeah. And so if you go back to the very beginning, you know, part of what God did First of all, he created us in his image. We are image bearers. And and now that everything is ruined, we're still image bearers. So when somebody is abusive or harmful to you, you also bear that image. They mm. crush part of the image. They don't take away the image of God in you. It's there. They can't make it go away. But they can twist you up so it's not flourishing. 
And part of that image is that we are people with a voice. I get to speak, you get to speak, we get to say what we see, what we hear, how we feel, what we want, what we long for, all of those things. Abuse typically shuts up voice. Yeah. It silences people. Um, we were created for safe relationship. Adam and Eve had a safe relationship. We were created to find refuge in one another, not harm. And again, abuse trashes that. It destroys the safety of the relationship. And then th third, we were created to have impact, power. We were to make things different because we're there. Um, and again, that's been twisted up. And so now we are image bearers who are often in unsafe and damaging relationships that silence our voice and power is abused in order to use us for the person who's doing the abuse. Um, and our power is lessened by virtue of our vulnerability and the abuse of power. Mm -hmm. So having said all that about who we are, now when we talk about spiritual abuse, that's what we're doing. We're helping to destroy what God intended us to be with any kind of abuse. Spiritual abuse is a wild oxymoron. Right. <laughs> First of all, the spiritual means of the spirit uh, and not uh, of the spirit of God in my spirit. That's a sacred, sacred place. And so then you put abuse with that, which means to mistreat, to harm, to wound, to, to distort, to degrade, all of those things that are diametrically opposed to the Spirit of God, who is an exact reputation, uh, uh, exact reflection of the character of our God. So it is the destruction of a person made in the image of God, a use of them for personal means in some fashion, yeah, and a misre gross misrepresentation misrepre of God, often in God's name. Right, right. So it's extreme. It's a very ex uh, confusing place for people because they hear the spiritual piece and they think it must be right. And then they have the damage piece. And somehow the damage has to be okay if it's spiritual, only it isn't. So it, it really, really confuses a lot of people. Right, right. Especially when it's coming from those that you are supposed to trust and you're already kind of in this vulnerable position and God's name is being put on it. Um, I was wondering, like, what are some of the common uh, signs that you've seen or hear about of a spiritually abusive leader? Like, what are some things that they may do to try to control or where they may blur those lines that people may not always realize when they're in it? Because it is confusing, like you said. Well, it can be quite subtle, actually. Quite subtle. And is usually, as with most abuse, done with a grooming process. And so something feels off and you think it's not right and then it doesn't happen again. And so you think you made it up or whatever and then something else happens. And eventually it's like, you know, getting used to the water as it heats up, basically. So it, it can be very, very confusing. 
Um, but if you go back to what I, I said a human being is to be like, you know, if somebody does or says something to you and you say, ouch, in some fashion and they ignore it, that's abusive. So your voice has no, no place to speak. So if somebody says to a woman, you need to go home and get beaten some more, <laughs> you know, uh, and you need to do that because I'm your pastor and the Bible says this and it feels wrong to her when she can't voice that, which she probably can't because she's being battered at home anyway. So she's already crushed. But if she can't say, I'm afraid to do that or that doesn't feel right or anything like that to the person who's telling her that, that's using the position, using God's word to do something crushing to a human being because she can't voice it. And she will not feel safe with the pastor who told her. So she doesn't have safe relationship at home. Now she doesn't have it at the church. But he's the pastor. He's the shepherd. He only wants her good. And the Bible says X, Y, and Z, so therefore I must be wrong. And it gets extremely muddled in the head. Right. Especially when it's coming from your spiritual leader who's speaking in the authority of God, quote unquote. Um, and I'm wondering, like, because I've seen this happen where there are kind of these charismatic but slightly almost narcissistic seeming personalities that thrive mm -hmm. in the church. And even even if they are caught doing um, sketchy things or um, spiritually abusive, manipulative things, um, I'm wondering, again, just why do narcissistic personalities even thrive in a culture whose beliefs are supposed to be the opposite? Like you said, it's a paradox. It's kind of, it's opposites, you know? Yes. Um, yes. What is it about, I'm like, what is it about church culture that allows these personalities to thrive? Well, I, I would say, first of all, that we are not the ones who discovered this. You know, if we go back to places like Matthew 23 and look at Jesus' words to the Pharisees, his eight woes and all of that, that's who he's talking to. You sit in the seat of Moses. You do deeds in order to be noticed. I mean, that's part of what he's saying there. He's describing what you're describing. Right. So it's a chapter worthy of reading, particularly for people who are trying to figure this out, because it turns the light on. Oh, <laughs> those things are not right. Right. So, so they were using their power to feed themselves. And they were feeding themselves earthly things, position, honor in the streets, mm -hmm. money, all those things. So I think part of what is happening with the church today is, first of all, really old. Right. It's, <laughs> it's not, not new. Right. And there are very clear words from our Lord about it, um, which don't seem to get pointed out very much. Um, and so I, I think the other piece is that if you look at the church in America over the years, we have increasingly become externally focused. Mm. How many people do we have? How big is our building? How much money do we have? How high a position can we give because of all the externals? 
And the heart of the church is love and obedience to Christ and bearing his character into the world. It doesn't matter whether you have $10 or $10 million. It's, you can't measure godliness by those kinds of externals. They are me- measured by character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we seem very confused about that today. And yeah. so anything mega, which doesn't necessarily mean a mega church, though that can be part of it, but anything mega is proof that God approves. Right. Only that's not true. Right. He became little. So yeah. I don't want, I certainly don't want to say if somebody's in a has a mega church, that means they're not okay. Right. Right. I also want, but I do want to say that anybody who has any kind of success in any position and uses it to harm people is spiritually abusing and feeding off of the externals rather than feeding off of Christ in order to feed the sheep. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing. But I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign-up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Right. And you just wonder like where someone 
took that turn sometimes, you know, oftentimes it starts out, they're like this person of integrity or it started out and it grew for a reason because they had this maybe genuine passion for the Lord and, and, and his people. And then it seems like over time you see as things get bigger, there tends to be this shift, but then people just don't know where that shift took place because at one point maybe they were doing such honorable work. Um, well, and it isn't the same for everybody. It happens to some because they've got wounds they never dealt with from growing up. Right. And they've been able to cover them up and things like that. And eventually those wounds do things that that are harmful to them and therefore harmful to other people. Right. So sometimes it's like that. But all of us have things in us that um, lure us. Right. And so the question again is, what do we do when we feel lured? Whether we're the, you know, head of a huge church or something like that, or just a member of a family. You know, we all have yeah. those things. And they hook us to look to the externals. Well, again, that's back to the garden, right? To yeah. look to the externals rather than to look to God and choose to act like him. The other thing I think is that there is tremendous pressure on leaders mm -hmm. to be successful because the rest of the people benefit if the externals look good. Mm. So often churches, whether it's the leadership of the churches that surround this person or whether it's the people in the pews, uh, look away or accept these things or even applaud them, which puts tremendous pressure on the leader. It has to be successful. And mm. so they end up on this cycle of constant stress, no self-care, feeding themselves things that aren't good because they have to meet this goal all the time. They never get to be a sheep. You know, right. the leaders are just sheep also. And so we, we seem to not take good care of them in that way often. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really like empathetic, a very empathetic side to look at all this as well as to why it's perpetuated. Yes, it doesn't excuse it. Right. It doesn't make it okay. Right. It breaks, it breaks God's heart, so it's not okay. Yeah. But we can contribute to the likelihood of it or not, depending on our demands as the body and the production of stress and things like that. And we fail our shepherds when we do not speak the truth. Mm, yeah. When, when we say, okay, you can cover that one up because otherwise it'll hurt the church. Right. We are contributing to their downfall and their deception, and we have entered into it with them. Again, that doesn't let them off the hook. But now we're on the hook, too. <laughs> yeah, because I've heard Cause things like... Yeah, I was going to say, because I've heard things like when, and I've seen it as well, when you bring up um, maybe something that, or are exposing 
um, some type of abusive or spiritually abusive or manipulative tendency in a leader, you hear people say things like, well, touch not God's anointed and let God deal with them. Who are we to, um, you know, who are we to kind of expose this person and our job to be exposing? That's God's job. Let God deal with it. You know, and there's this language. It's, it's very strange. There's this language of just no accountability um, mm-hmm. and that because they're, you know, God's leader, God's anointed, that um, we shouldn't be tearing them down. And, and it's not that anybody's trying to tear anyone down, but just um, you have other people in the flock, so to speak, in the congregation who are coming at that defense and perpetuating it and contributing as well to the covering up of all of that, which to me is always just a shocker. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Well, and we, we've forgotten there that God's anointed is Jesus Christ, not the pastor, not mm. the leader. That person is the lamb of Jesus Christ. And anytime we cover up sin in ourselves or other people, or we don't turn the light on and speak truth and all those things, we are doing damage to the sheep, no matter who they are, and to the name of our Lord, who is anointed. You know, we, well, we, we we are preserving systems and right. public reputations and wealth and all kinds of things, but not the name of Christ. Right, and, and, and I think it just damage, also damages the witness and the example of what it means to be God's heart, God's hands and feet. And I think it just, for other people who aren't in the church and then you they see spiritual abuse or things like this going on or, or they leave because of it and then have a very misconstrued idea of what church is and what God's heart is really like because they saw all these things, all these abusive tendencies and um, controlling manipulative tendencies perpetuate. Yes, yes. Part of what happens over time, of course, is that the entire system becomes toxic. Right. You know, the more we, and that can happen with covering up sexual abuse or anything, whatever, but the more we do that, the more the system itself, the word system means together stand. So the system stands together to preserve itself. When its original purpose was, at least by word, if not by deed, to preserve the name of Christ by living in ways that are like him. Uh, and so we have that we end up with a very toxic system with a toxic leader, and the destruction is... Right, right. And speaking of that, speaking of like the congregation's contribution to that, because the because con- if there's spiritual abuse going on at the head, it ha- in order for it to in order for it to um, to continue, that means that the church, the congregation, or the leadership around them is not taking action in some way, or is turning a blind eye, or maybe doesn't even know for. Or realize it for some of them because they get treated differently yes. than others um, yeah. and so I guess maybe the bigger question is you know what practical actions should one take in spiritual uh, you know against spiritual abuse maybe in their in their church or if they're noticing these tendencies um, 
what are some actions that that they should take against it that would maybe be appropriate or some first steps? Well, I think um, one of the things that we need to do just as a body is examine what we expect of those in leadership. And again, I'm not saying that people that follow are to blame, but they can feed it or not. And I think many of us have been either indoctrinated or seduced into thinking it should look a certain way externally. And we want to be on the inner circle and we want, you know, we want to be fed by the bigness of the organization or its name or its success or whatever. So we have to start here. Um, And then if you hear or see about any kind of abuse in the church that needs to be brought to the light. Probably you need somebody to help you think that through. You don't want to just barge in a door and say it. (laughs) You know, it needs thought and prayer beforehand, but it needs to be confronted. If that is refused, you go higher. If that is refused, you know, you go outside the system, whatever. But it's very important to understand that you start here. And you need people to walk with you before you confront it. Not that they have to go in with you to say something, but that would probably be good to have somebody with you. But the point is, don't confront it alone, because if that's what's happening, the people you're talking to aren't safe. And so they will work hard to discredit you, do damage to you, require you to leave, who knows what they'll do, in order to preserve the image. So you need to start with your heart. You need companions to help you and to think, help you think through how to handle it. And then you need people to help you uh, stay the course. Because most times when people are confronted with deception and abuse and things like that, abuse of power, whatever, they defend. They're threatened. And they have power. Yeah, and I just also wanted to add, like, just to be aware of some of those signs, for example, if people just totally excommunicate people who have left the church, you know, like if they just demonize someone because they left the church saying, like, they're not in the true faith or they've been deceived or they're in rebellion and it's like, oh, everyone who leaves, you know, is these things or um, they say you're in in rebellion if you're not following what they say, like, just... um, just recognizing some of those signs that don't line up, you know, and not being afraid to question that. Yes. Another thing that happens is you can't join a church unless you sign a non-disclosure. I've been hearing more about that, which is, was surprising to me. Yes. So we follow the God of truth and the God of light, but you have to say, you'll never say anything or you can't be a member of this church. I mean, that that's a train wreck. That's a silencing of the voice. So you're saying, I'll never speak about whatever I see or hear or do or happens here, having no idea what those things might be. And you're, you're told that you have to do that or you can't be a member. And if you won't do that to become a member, then you're not submissive. My advice is to take the fastest train out of town. 
I mean, the symptoms are already there. <laughs> you don't have to join the church to see the symptoms. Yeah. Jesus invites us. He doesn't do that. He says, come. We have choice. Yeah. So to, to command rather than invite the way he does is a, a huge warning sign. Yeah, I was going to say it's a big red flag. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, all of that being said, and I just appreciate you sharing all of this and speaking so directly to it, because I think that that's what's been needed is just like a direct and clear voice on this subject. Um, Are there any words of encouragement that you have or advice for someone who is recovering from spiritual abuse or is realizing that they're in a cult, almost like a cult-like, spiritually abusive setting, or and they're like realizing that if they leave the, this church or they leave this situation, they might not have anyone because their whole friendship circle and community circle was built around this. Um, yeah, any advice or encouragement for that person who's in that transition? I think one of the first things I would say is that you cannot be abused in any way, let alone spiritual abuse, and not be very confused about God. That's part of what it does. And people do one of two things. They either defend God to the point of whatever, because they, and then they avoid looking at the abuse because it threatens what they thought, or it, it has so destroyed all of that that they they don't know who he is and they're afraid of him and they think he's like the church and all those things those are normal reactions and there are not places you have to live forever but it's okay you know if if you're leaving an abusive system that tells you how to think and all of a sudden think they're telling you things that aren't true about God and yourself and things like that, but you're, you're also going to leave and not know who God is except the way they told you, which means he doesn't feel safe. And that's okay. He understands. He's actually brokenhearted that it's been confusing. It wasn't supposed to be. So I think people really need to accept the fact of their own struggles and that their whole spiritual life got twisted by this. And that doesn't make them bad or wrong or anything else. The damage was done by others, and damage takes time to sort out and heal from and all of that. So I I just, part of what happens when you've been particularly in a very tight, uh, commanding, ordering, authoritarian kind of place, having your own thoughts that differ from that place are frightening. And that's normal, but don't let that fear keep you from having them. You're meant to have your own thoughts, and it will take you time to figure out. It might take years, depending on what's happened. It can take years, and that's okay. God is quite patient. So I think that's part of what needs to happen. I I would also just say, you know, particularly about people who that's been their whole world, you know, they're social, they're everything. When a place is your whole world, that's a problem. The church is to be in the world. 
So if the only people you have as friends are people from your church who think exactly like you and do things exactly like you and all that kind of stuff, you know, you, you haven't been seed thrown out. <laughs> and so that makes leaving much more difficult, of course, because now you'll have nobody. And not only will you have nobody, they'll all think you're awful, which you know ahead of time. But I would also remind people that having lived like that, that's not how God has called the church to be in the world. She's not to be incubated. She's to be out there like he was. And so, and and again, just like with thinking about God, going to church is going to feel terrifying. You're not going to trust anybody. And that's okay. I often, you know, First of all, people get to say when they try another church, that's fine, that's their decision. When they do, I suggest they go a little late, sit in the back pew, and leave a little early. So they're not overwhelmed by people, by greeting, by not knowing what to do, by whatever. They need to do it little by little in order to begin to think about church differently and heal and even figure out what it is they would want in a church. And so... There's so often so much guilt in victims of spiritual abuse. And they feel guilty about the things that are necessary for healing, which is very confusing and often will threaten to stop the process of healing. Right, right. Yeah, you you said something as well that really spoke out to me, which was um, this this not trusting your own intuition or convictions anymore and just how that gets so shambled because you've mm-hmm. been groomed not to think for yourself and you've been groomed that like thinking for yourself is like either the devil or some way trying to lure you away or um or you're just, or, or you're just rebellious in rebellion. It's exactly what I was gonna say. And so, just that recovery process of learning, relearning your relationship with God, and that you have convictions that are valid, you know, and questions that are valid, and um, yeah, and hearing those, hearing those convictions and those boundaries again, and relearning them is just um is just huge and i also love what you said about it's okay to take your time and go step by step back into the church or into a new one because there is that guilt of like well i need to be because that's what they you know always tell you need to be rooted you need to be planted you know you don't need to be church hopping you know and there's just all this guilt and shame about going somewhere else about not being in church but it's true like when you've been hurt in that way and your spirit is in shambles and you're in, you're just confused and you need to heal and relearn that like God still has you. <laughs> he does. He does. Well, and yes, you need to be rooted and planted, but in him, yeah. not in an institution. O- oftentimes with people, two things I, I also, inc- when they're, especially those who are, don't want to go to any church for a long time, go sit in the woods, go sit by the creek. He made those things. They're places of beauty. And use scripture just in tiny eye drops. Go to the Psalms and find two, two verses that are a lament. 
Mm. It's enough. Go grieve. Go out in the woods and grieve. That's church. You're there with God. You're seeking him. You're in his world that he made for you. It's okay. Yeah, just renewing this personal relationship with God, which is so empowering because you can find that it's even stronger and deeper and more authentic and even more mature than it ever was before. Yes. Because it's not yes. rooted in this, these systems and these people and these um, controlling tactics. So, um, so thank you so much just for speaking so clearly to all of this, Diane. I would love it if you could share with us how those who are listening who want to continue to follow this topic, Diane has some really great resources. and She just released a book on about this as well that I want to encourage you guys to take a look at in the show notes. Um, what is the best way for listeners to stay connected with you and the work that you're doing? Well, one would be just to go to the website, uh, which is just my name. Um, it's full of videos mm. that they can watch, you know, videos on different kinds of abuse and uh, there's a talk on spiritual abuse and toxic systems, I think. So there's, but there's other things there as well on power in the church, deception, all those things. So uh, that's one possibility. And the book that's coming out is about power and the abuse of power in the church. So. Um, that should be helpful as well. I appreciate that so much, the work you're doing, because, you know, sometimes people, for some reason, see it as being like anti-church, and it's not. Calling about calling out abuse in the church is not anti-the church. It's because you love the church, meaning the body. <laughs> and like you yes. said, they're created in God's image. And so um, it's, it's really our duty to do that to heal the church and so i just love that you're doing that work so boldly um and so clearly and so thank you so much for having this conversation with me today thank you so much for your time uh and thanks guys for listening until next time